Snap Studios. Okay, so my dear friend, Sonia Vance, just sent me pictures of our crew back in the day. We're both 19 or 20. And I'm just going to tell you the God's honest truth about these pictures. I am gorgeous. Stunning. So good looking, so awesome, so electric. And it ain't even just me. We're all beautiful. There's Molly and Paul and Alicia and Shane and Ray and Yuko. Like, if you saw us, you'd be all, I want to hang out with them. And you think I'm playing, but these real pictures are real proof. And I get close, close to the screen, right up to my own younger face. And I remember that guy, that me, that dude. He doesn't know he's beautiful. He has no idea he's shining, splendid. He actually thinks that splash of leftover acne makes him horrid, ugly. Sometimes he imagines these people, the people laughing and holding him close in this picture, he supposes they hate him because they know how stupid he feels inside. This... This clown has no idea he's going to have these same friends for decades. Thinks he's ugly? Hideous wretched. (sighs) Dummy. How ridiculous. How absurd. How crazy. And how is it that I thought the exact same thing he did this very morning looking at my face in the bathroom mirror. Snap Judgment, we proudly present Beautiful. Amazing stories from the looking glass. My name is from Washington. And the best advice I've ever heard? Dance like you're gorgeous. Even if you ain't. When you're listening to Snap Judgment. Up, we hear from a Chicago performer with some serious chops. He does it all spoken word, comedy, beatboxing, hosting. The only thing Binky Tollfree can't seem to do is get his parents on board with his career. But when Binky turns 33, it finally looks like all that is about to change. And yes, there is some adult language. I'll let Binky take it from here. I'm the kid my parents call into the room to perform all the time. Like, Binky, come in here and do the thing that you do. And I, I'm like, okay. And uh, they're like, okay, get out of here. I'm like, okay, bye. So, like, I, <laughs> I love doing that. I loved it. And it got to the point where I, I wanted to, every time I, I realized I had a new skill, 
I would want to go show it to them. I'm like, yo, check this out, though. Did you see me put both my muscles up at the same time? That's crazy. I'll be back. I started performing like professionally outside of high school, probably when I was like 2021. And I would have these magical moments in front of audiences. I would always ask my parents to come to my shows. Like, I would like, just come to my show. I want you to see it. I want you to see it. And my parents would be like, why? Like, why don't you get it? They wouldn't understand why I would stay up and do a free show until two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, and then get up and go work a nine to five. The nine to five was them. The 2 a.m. was me. Was there a particular moment in which, you know, me and my mom had tension? It was always moments. So it was like, yo, get a real job. This is cute. It was always. I just think the last time was the last time. That was the straw that broke the camel's back when I was 33. I had just gotten signed to a talent agency. The audition itself was just like for a regular commercial, for like a, a chips commercial or something like that. But the fact that I had an audition when I hadn't had any before was big to me. I'm actually making moves. I had just gotten off the phone about the audition and I was outside actually. Jazz was in the air. The breeze was perfect. It was right off the lake. Birds were chirping. Man, it was just beautiful. My mother called me after that. It was back-to-back calls is what it was. One call was the audition, and the other call was my mother. I'm like super excited about it. I'm also thinking in my mind, you know, probably my subconscious that, okay, here is a serious thing that I'm doing with this. This It's not just me doing a show or performing or, you know, hosting some event. This is me actually moving forward towards getting some monetary gain for this. Because at the end of the day, that's what my parents talk about. Are you getting paid for it? Are you getting money for it? And I'm expecting like, yo, congratulations, do it, kill it, do your thing, I'm proud of you. You know, like every kid wants from their parents. But she said, do you have a 401k plan? And I was like, come on. So angry. We start arguing, we ended up hanging the phone up on each other. I called one of my best friends and I'm just like, yo, bro, I'm sick of this shit, like I'm, like, man, every time I call, every time I want some support, da, 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 da. he was like, just write about it. I'm like, write what? He's like, don't matter, just write. Ah, I was like, fine, 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 fine. I walked home and I sat down, I just started writing. Next thing you know, I look at what I wrote and it was basically a discography of my life at the, uh, up until that moment. Girlfriends I've had, places we've lived, my siblings, my parents, who they are to me, and my perception of them. After I'm done, I read this thing. I'm the only artist in my immediate family. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. It provides immediate empathy for me at the moment. My parents are blue-collar workers. Okay, this is why she talks to me that way. That generation didn't talk about their feelings. They just had to keep their nose down, and they just worked. There has to be somebody that gets me, though. I think it's time to go find out who that is. My parents always talked to me, and they were always open about adoption. 
I was even in an adoption documentary when I was a shorty. They always told me when I turned 18, they was like, you can, you can legally search for your, for your biological parents. But when I turned 18, I just, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like it was something that I needed to do. I uh, had a great childhood, you know. I was raised by beautiful black parents with, you know, love and affection. I, I feel like I'm good. But growing up in my house where so many different type of people from so many different backgrounds, foster kids, children, grandchildren, mother, father, grandmother, you know, sometimes you get lost in the fold. There was a, a void that I didn't know was there that didn't affect me until I was 33. And I just want to feel seen, Why, you know. And who, who more would you want that from than from your parents? I was ready to ask about my biological parents. My mom is, is always in and out of the hospital. And that's where I was going to see her to to ask her this question, but there's no vitriol I'm going in there with. The argument was the argument. It had its moment. So we get to talk. I'm like, Mom, you know what? I think it's actually time. I think I'm ready to go, you know, try to find my biological parents. And I pull out a pad and pencil, and I'm like, yo, what's up? Like, give me some information, blah, blah, blah. She was like, boy, put that away. I was like, okay. She was like, all you have to do is go downtown and get your original birth certificate. Yo. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> that sounds way easier than what I was thinking I was going to do is some detective work. All right, cool. I went down to the data center, stood in line for a couple minutes, and uh, I wait. I'm chill. I'm, I'm 33. I'm comfortable with who I am thus far at that point. I opened up the birth certificate on a Saturday. My name originally was Marcus LaVon McKeever. I was like, Marcus? Do I like a Marcus? I just started going, I started looking in the mirror. Do I look like a Marcus? I could, I could be a Marcus. I'm definitely a Lawrence, but I could, I could be a Marcus. Then I look at my biological mother's name and it says Samata McKeever. I was like, Samata, that sounds exotic. Samata. I immediately start looking things up. My my girlfriend at the time, I give her the information too. She's like, do you mind if I look for stuff? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And this is the age of technology. We're in an immediate gratification type of times. 10 minutes go by and I'm not finding anything on Samada McKeever. I'm getting frustrated. Another name pops up and it says Barbara Acklin. I'm like, what is this? What is this? I'm trying to find Samada McKeever. My girlfriend actually finds something. She calls me. She says, I found something. Can I send it to you? I was like, yo, absolutely not. Okay, no. This is my uh, little journey. So no thank you. Keep it to yourself. I'll find it. Wait, but why? Because I, I wanted my own journey to be my own journey, you know? <laughs> like I want to be the one to open a treasure chest. I'm getting frustrated. I'm not finding things I need to find. I was like, fine. It's a discography of the woman Barbara Acklin. So comes to find out this lady was a superstar in the 60s and the 70s. She was with Chess Records that was in Chicago, responsible for such names as Muddy Waters and Chuck Berry and Etta James. She wrote the song, Tell Me Have You Seen Her? That song, she wrote it. Tell me 
I'm like, this lady is amazing. Okay, what up? What, what, what about her? And I'm reading through the whole thing, and I don't get it. What is the correlation between Barbara Acklin and my biological mother? I get to the bottom of her discography. It says, survived by son Marcus and daughter Samada. I'm like, Samada, that's my biological mother's name. But the, the name that I got on the birth certificate is Samada McKeever. Samada is not a common name. Maybe I'll put in Samada Acklin instead of Samada McKeever and see what happens. And everything pops up. Barbara Acklin's my grandmother and Samada McKeever and Samada Acklin are the same person, which is my biological mother. Her Facebook or Twitter pops up pictures of her. I'm on her Facebook page and I am in this moment. This moment is just crazy. I can't touch it. It's hard to it's hard to describe, but I'm it's, it's, I'm floating. First of all, she's beautiful. And she has a very symmetrical face, nice cheekbones, like really pretty eyes, almond-shaped eyes, uh, a gorgeous smile, a really gorgeous smile, and just a, like a warm, you can see in her pictures that she's warm. She's got pictures with Bill Clinton, she's got pictures with Bernie Mac, and not like regular, but like kicking the pictures, you know what I mean? Like, she's an she's a actress, she's a singer, she's a model. I'm like, this is fucking crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. I never even had the thought that she would not be, to be honest. Black people are very influential, but we're only 12% of the population. So I figured I would find her. I see on her page that she had not been active on that page in like two or three months. But I also saw on her page that she hosts an open mic on Sundays. The fact that she hosts open mics blows my mother effing mind in the first place. Because that's that's one of the things that I do the most. The name of the open mic, it was Soul Sundays. name of my open mic at the time was Soul Speak. How is hosting open mics hereditary? Explain that to me. My whole body was vibrating as I'm reading all of these things, looking at these pictures. I see that she has done or is doing all the stuff that I have done or am doing or want to do, I had to, I had to stop and just close my eyes and breathe. Because it was kind of surreal and very unbelievable. Confirmation, that's really what it did. It's like, oh, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it was something, I knew it was something. I, I do come from some R&B royalty. I do come from some superstar royalty somewhere. I always wanted that, and it felt kind of good. That was validated right there. That void starts to slowly be filled as soon as I got the information. I'm going to this open mic. I'm going. I could have texted her. uh, You know, I had her information right there, but I didn't. I was like, nope, I was going to pop up.
don't go anywhere. When we return, Binky prepares for what may be the most important open mic of his life. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the beautiful episode. My name is Glenn Washington. And when we last left Binky, he had just discovered the identity of his biological mom at the age of 33. And according to her Facebook page, she's hosting an open mic the very next day. Snap Judgment. The reason why I decided to show up instead of text her is because I'm dramatic. I think we can just... Uh, chalk it up to that, okay? <laughs> I love to freestyle. It is, it is 98% of my life. So me being there was like already written. The plan was being there. That was the plan. What I was going to say afterwards, eh, I'm going to get out with the God, see what happens. I hope to find her. I, I had hoped to find her. That's what I hoped. That's that's it. She hasn't been active on Facebook within three months. That open mic might not even exist anymore. That building might not even exist anymore, okay? I said, yo, no matter what I walk into, if I decide to go meet my biological mother, I'm going to have no expectations. Hopes are cool. Hopes are wishes. Expectations are dangerous. I go in there with the want to be accepted. The negative would be I'm leaving thinking no one else will accept me. If you go in there pistol half cocked, just, man, just be prepared for anything. What's the danger of not being prepared? Going in there without preparing could be detrimental for the rest of your life. We are all searching for this identity, especially as black people in America knowing their great-great-great-great-grandfather's lineage. You know, people take that for granted when you have that. We're all searching for our identity. I go to the open mic. It's an older black lounge. When I say older, I mean like maybe like 45 and up. I'm running late, as per use, and my, my friends are already in there. They're already, I'm the last one to show up, to be honest. My girlfriend at the time already was, like, she already had tears in her eyes. And I'm like, yo, chill out, chill out, chill, chill, chill. You're going to blow our cover, lady, okay? We're already the youngest people in here. We're already being looked at. I don't know how I'm going to confront uh, my biological mother at all, but if you're crying and whimpering, she's going to ask, what's wrong with you? 
and she's the host. That is her job. I see the band. I know at least three of them out of the five. And I walk up to them. I'm like, yo, what's up? They're like, Binky, what are you doing here, fam? Like, this is like, what are you doing here? I was like, ah, don't worry about it. Man. How you doing? It's it's surreal. Of course I know you. Of course you go be here. I got tapped on the shoulder by somebody that was we were sitting with and said, is that her? And I looked and I was like, yo, that's the one in the pictures. It's like slow motion. She's shaking hands and kissing babies and shit. Like it's the whole host thing. It's what I do. Things stop. Every time she smiles, I see myself. It's my first time seeing somebody in the flesh who looks like me. As I'm looking at her, I feel more seen. I want to cry, but I also don't want to let it all out yet. I'm in awe. I don't think I'm linked. She comes over to us. She comes over to us first, before anything else happens. And she says, hello. We was like, uh, hello. People were stuttering. And she was like, where are you? Who are you guys? We were just like, we're just a, it's a ragtag group. Heard one to come to the open mic. She was probably suspicious of our presence, just based on the atmosphere. The atmosphere was an older lounge, 45 and up. We're at least 10 years younger. But she was like, okay. After that, she starts singing and hosting the show. She starts singing, let's get it on. Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. So what she does is she sings, let's get it on. She has a microphone to the men in the audience, and they get the, oh, let's get it on. That type of thing. So they have like a quick little back and forth. She gets the microphone back to them. And she gives it to a, a couple of men in the audience. Just, you know, working the crowd. And I'm watching, like, this shit is crazy. I have a whole, like, uh, opener that I do that is crowd participatory. And I'm watching her do this, like, yo, I do that. She makes her way around to me and sings, let's get it on. Hands me the microphone. Everybody was on the edge of their seat, like, what is this, what is this, what is this? What's about to happen, what's about to happen? As I'm sitting there, I'm like, wait a minute. My biological mother is in front of me, and she's expecting me to sing with her, Let's Get It On. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not a good look. That's not a good look. Uh, How do I get out of this? How do I get out of this awkward situation? She hands me the microphone, and I go, Let's get it on. Let's get it on. On, on, on. And she takes the microphone back like, okay. (laughs) Wipes the microphone on her chest. All right, thank you. And walks away. I'm like, (sighs) ooh, that was close. Yo, the reaction of the crowd after I was done, I have no idea. Because I was just, I had to get out that situation. I know what my friend's reactions were. And it was pretty much the same as mine. And it was like a, okay, okay. It's like we walked backwards from a cliff. There's not a microphone that I won't touch if it's on. 
there was no way me and the friends that I brought with me weren't going to get on that microphone. We're in our element. This is what we do. She has to call names up to perform. And then she called my name. Yo, I lost breath in that moment when she called my name because, you know, she had never said it. I perform and I rock with the band. I'm like, drums, give me some... Guitar, give me some... And then we just rocked that way. It was fun. I see the approval on her face when I am performing. I was like a lot. I was, I was giddy. I was giddy. That meant everything. Around 11.30, 11.45, she goes back to the, the back of the room for the first time. And something hits me. It's just like, yo, what are you waiting for? We've created a rapport at this point, so I feel comfortable with what I'm about to do next. I grab both of her hands. Can I talk to you for a second? Can I tell you something? Okay. <laughs> okay. Like a little, little small smirk in her, in her face. Like, okay. I said, my name now is Lawrence Curtis Tollfree Jr. And everybody knows me as Binky. But when I was born, my name was Marcus LaVon McKeever. And she immediately, like, loses breath. As she's, like, trying to catch her breath, I reach into my pocket and I take out my birth certificate and I unfold it and I place it in her hand. And she looks down at it. Before she said anything, like, her bottom lip starts to quiver and she just says, that's my signature. And she starts crying, then I start crying, and then apparently the group has argued their way to the back. They're there. I didn't even see how they got there. But I started seeing cameras being flicked and everything, and we hugged. People who were there, who knew me and my biological mother, Samada, were like, of course, of course Samada's your mother, Binky. Look at her. Everybody loves her. Like, she's amazing, blah, 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 blah. And, like, you know, we, it, was, it, was a, it was a black hallmark moment. We went through a whole bunch of things that we talked about. She buried her father a day or two before she and I met. A death and a birth, you know what I mean? I held her hand and walked into her car and opened the door for her, and she got in, and I hugged her, and I walked back with just, you know, just a, a serenity about myself, just feeling, I don't know, like a, a wholeness. The void was still there, but it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't as empty as it was when I walked in, but it definitely was filling up. She called me the next day. Remember, Saturday, I opened the birth certificate. Sunday, I go to her open mic and I meet her. And it says Monday. Monday, she calls me and says, hey, would you like to talk to your biological father? I knew that I hosted open mics every week for years. So I'm the one that asked them. I said, would you guys be cool with coming to see me perform and see my open mic and see, like what I do now and they were like yeah 100% my parents are my parents but I met my biological parents and we love each other you know what I'm saying we sincerely love each other and they are here tonight 
Jr. for sharing his story with the Snap. Binky is a comedian, music maker, actor, and globe-trotting minister of all things dope. To learn more about where to catch his latest radio shows, open mics, and other projects, check out our website, snapjudgment.org. You may have heard the piece featured a couple classics, Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye, and Have You Seen Her by The Shy Lights, which was written in part by Binky's grandmother, the great Barbara Ackland. Original score for this story was by Pat and City Miller. It was produced by Regina Beriaco. Now, when Snap Josh returns, a young man has to look in the mirror a whole new way. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the beautiful episode. For our next story, we go to Snap's resident youngin and adultish podcast host Nigel Turner tells a story about how he discovered his own truth. Sensitive listeners should know this story does contain graphic imagery. Nigel, the stage is yours. My auntie Tanya always says that whenever she pulls up at the house, she can count on seeing little me out on the front lawn, naked and watering the grass. There's my naked baby, is what she yells out to me to this day, sometimes even in our place of worship. (laughs) But when I was 12, I don't know, I kind of stopped with the whole free body stuff. One day, I'm taking off my shirt to hop in the shower when I notice a small lump behind my left nipple. This lump most definitely wasn't there yesterday. So I use my index and thumb and give it a quick assessment. 
Underneath my skin, I feel something the size of one of those Captain Crunch Crunch Berries, and it's as hard as a rock. I give it a quick squeeze, and I immediately burst out into tears. It's cancer, I tell my mom, who immediately takes me to the doctor, who says, well, for starters, take a sigh of relief. It's not cancer. Well, what is it? My mom says. I'm still holding my breath. It's a condition called gynecomastia. Gynecal what? It's actually pretty common. 70% of boys develop extra breast tissue when they're going through puberty. What? And so it might look like they have the beginnings of female breasts. Female what? Oh, my mom says. But I'm like, what? Why is everyone being so calm about this? Don't worry, son. It should go away by the time you're about 22. 22? I'm gonna be old and married with kids by 22. What the doc doesn't mention is that the lump will also duplicate itself behind my right nipple and that the lumps are going to get bigger and more noticeable like the size of golf balls, which will stand out, especially if you're a skinny kid like I am. So I begin wearing baggier shirts even though tight tees are in. And not only that, I only wear shirts with huge logos on the front so you can't see the shape of my chest. But by the time that I start talking to girls, I take it to a new level. Every time before I leave my house, I tear a long silver strip of duct tape and wrap it around my entire chest and back like a sports bra. Still, I always feel like people just know. I confide in my dad and my older brother. They're actually concerned at first, but once they hear that it'll eventually go away, the condition becomes a huge running joke. Come on, titty man, run faster, titty man. At first, I laughed with them because honestly, it was a hilarious nickname, no lie. But after a while, it gets old. It becomes painful and it tears my self-confidence to pieces. The only way I get through it is by repeating to myself over and over. This is temporary, only until I'm 22. Even with the duct tape, I begin to hunch my back and try to hide my chest in public or whenever family or friends come over. But still, my dad calls me over. Hey, Nige, come downstairs. Your uncle is here. Say hi. Hi, uncle. All right, now take your shirt off and show him. I feel like a circus freak. The amazing titty man. Only until I'm 22. Now forget that. I gotta do something. First, over many weeks and months, I try to massage the lumps in the smaller pieces. But that doesn't work. Then, I start working out six days a week. Two hours of cardio in the morning and weights at night. I follow the strictest diet plan of chicken and fish and brown rice and whatever vegetable of the day, hoping that my chest would fill out and no one would notice. Eventually, I'm in the best shape of my life and the lumps are actually a little less noticeable, but I still hate my body. So as a last resort, I go to my dad's toolbox. I take out the heavy duty pliers and I carefully position the jaw around the hard tissue. Three, 
two, one. Then I squeeze the pliers as hard as I can. I immediately hit the floor crying. Once I wipe my tears, I check my chest. The lumps are still intact. I give up. This is how it's going to be until I'm 22, I guess. So I get comfortable never going swimming anymore, even though I love to swim. I become that cool kid at all the pool parties who just shows up with his best fit, like I'm too good to be splashing around in the pool. Even in suits, I would just never take my jacket off, no matter how hot it would be. I build a whole persona around hiding my body. And it works. In high school, I'm on the basketball team. So when I have to change into my uniform, I rush to the locker room early and change in the stall. Once, I hear my teammates making fun of another player who also has, well, you know what they call it, big tits. I'm surprised to learn one of my friends around my age has gynecomastia. He's never mentioned it to me, and I've never, you know, done a close chest examination. I only find out because I hear some of my friends gossiping about his man boobs. Apparently, one hot day, they all hung out. And he took his shirt off and they all just see it. Just like that. It was never a thing though. He continued to take his shirt off despite jokes or snickering. I really want to be like him. But I can't. Girlfriends is where it gets real tricky. Before I can even get close to a girl, I know I have to admit my darkest secret. So I always do this over the phone. And just... Be honest. And surprisingly, that conversation always goes pretty well. Turns out, they don't really care. Or, that's what I want to believe. In my mind, I wonder if they don't think it's a big deal because I usually lead with my humor and personality before I reveal my secret. But, I don't know, everyone has something, right? But behind closed doors, I start to fantasize about the future. You know, once I turn 22 and I become an adult, the lumps will just pack their bags and go. Then I could post a picture with my wife on the beach on our honeymoon. I could swim at pool parties. What if on a daily jog around my block, I can just take my shirt off like I see all my friends do without even a second thought when it gets too hot? I don't celebrate birthdays, but I'm excited about turning 22. But when the day comes, when I turn the age I had been waiting and praying for to finally feel comfortable in my own skin, the age where I finally am supposed to start loving myself, the lumps are still there. There is one more option. It's something I never thought I would do. It's expensive and it's problematic. I've been working part-time saving all my money for a Jeep Wrangler. But I won't be able to get that Jeep if I do this. Plastic surgery. I always watch that show botched with my dad about plastic surgery gone wrong. Plastic surgery always seemed like it was for rich people. Rich white people, really. Well, really (laughs) rich white women. It's something that felt taboo but I really want my body to look like what I think a man's body is supposed to look like. Like what I see on TV and movies, like what everybody else looks like. 
I want that so much. So I took my $10,000 that I had saved for the first time in my whole life. And instead of getting my dream Jeep Wrangler, I drive an hour to the best plastic surgeon in Northern California. The waiting room is full of middle-aged women and me. I'm scribbling down questions to ask my doctor before he puts me under, basically wanting to make sure that I don't die in here. Honestly, I'm pretty scared. Why didn't I just buy that Jeep? <laughs> no, invest in yourself, Nigel. Invest in yourself. After surgery, I wear a compression recovery vest for a couple of weeks. Then, finally, the day that I've been waiting for. I nervously walk to the bathroom and lock the door. I take off my vest and peel off the bandages around my chest. And then I finally take a look. I feel amazing. I finally love my body. I finally love myself. And I don't know how to really describe it, but I kind of finally feel whole. I start working out again after I heal, looking at myself every day in the mirror, flexing, taking shirtless videos and putting them on Snapchat for the first time in my life. But then I'm looking at a picture of myself my happy self and a new kind of self-hate starts to creep in why am I acting like this is some kind of accomplishment I'm smart I'm not a follower but I was willing to spend $10,000 to change my body so that I would make more sense to myself when I look in the mirror that blows my mind to this day I get ready to go to a pool party at a friend's house. I'm going to take off my shirt and jump in in front of everybody. I hop into my car, 2006 Honda Accord, and roll out, windows down. And the check engine light comes on again. Sometimes, I still wish I could have just got that Jeep. Thank you, Nige, for sharing your story with the Snap family. This piece was brought to you by Adultish. It's a culture, advice, and storytelling show created by YR Media and Snap Judgment alumnus Davey Kim. It's hosted by 20-something know-it-alls Nige Turner and Merck Nguyen. And they recently dropped their fourth season with their friends at Radiotopia by PRX. So be sure to subscribe to Adultish and show them some love. The music for this story was composed by Oluwafemi and Davey Kim. Oh yes, it happened again. But if you're looking for a friend to hold you through to the next stop, 
the next town, the next partner, or the next adventure, look no further. There are hours of amazing storytelling and a whole community just waiting for you to jump into the pool. All of it on the amazing Snap Judgment Podcast. Subscribe because someone's story might change your life. It certainly changed mine. And someone close to you wants to let the world know they snap and finally you can give them the snap t-shirt or even a snap pin of their heart's desire. Available right now at snapjudgment.org. Snap is brought to you by the team that always uses lots and lots of product. Except for tour producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. He only uses soap and water. Pat Messini Miller, Anna Sussman, Lindsay Gorio, John Fasile, Shayna Sheely, Marissa Dodge, Nika Singh, Teo Ducat, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, and Regina Beriaco. Wow, this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you put one of those poor cleaning masks on your face only to discover that when the instructions say to keep it on for 10 minutes, they mean 10 minutes, not sleep with it all night long. Good Lord. All that and you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRX. PRX.